Carlsbad Caverns National Park is in the Chihuahua Desert of southern New Mexico. It's, it's actually on my bucket list of places to go because people say it's a, a virtual paradise, both above the ground and below the ground. So you can drive on the Walnut Canyon Desert Loop and the desert views are amazing. There's high ancient uh, sea ledges. There are deep uh, rocky canyons, uh, beautiful flowering cactus, and, and all kinds of desert wildlife. There's also Rattlesnake Springs. They say it's a, a desert wetland. I didn't know there was such a thing. But Rattlesnake Springs obviously attracts all kinds of reptiles and hundreds of bird species. And then underneath it all, there are like 119 caves where the, the sulfuric acid has dissolved the limestone and, and created uh, caverns of, of all sizes, some of them massive. Well, Bob Wood tells a story of a, a family who was on vacation out there, and uh, they were with their, their son who was 11 and their 7-year-old daughter, and they decided to go on a ranger-guided tour uh, into one of these caverns. Well, when the tour reached the deepest point of the cavern, the ranger switched off all the lights to dramatize how completely dark and silent it is below the earth's surface. The little girl, suddenly enveloped in utter darkness, was frightened and she began to cry. And everyone could hear the voice of her brother, don't cry, somebody here knows how to turn on the lights. Our children's story for today, Something from Nothing, uh, it's adapted from a, a Jewish folk tale. Joseph's grandfather made him a wonderful blanket. But in time, the blanket becomes worn, maybe not so wonderful, at least not to Joseph's mother. She consistently says in this story, it's time to throw it out. It's frazzled. Uh, it's worn. It's unsightly. It's torn. It's true, you know. It's what happens to us. But grandfather sees the possibilities. Of course he does. He's the one who created the blanket. Mark tells us the story of Jesus' time in Jericho. In our text, Jesus is actually leaving Jericho on his way to Jerusalem when Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, start shouting, Jesus, son of David, 
son of David, have mercy on me. He knows that Jesus is there. You know, I, I think people who are blind, they're able to see with their ears. When I was in school, a great preaching professor was on campus, and so some of my friends and I invited him out to dinner. We just thought how amazing it would be to spend some time with this brilliant professor and just kind of sponge his, uh, uh, his gifts and his teaching and all that. And he, he accepted our invitation. And so uh, we went to an O'Charlie's restaurant uh, in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Haddon Robinson is his name. Uh, he was at Gordon-Conwell uh, Theological Seminary. And it was an amazing evening. He stayed with us until like one or two o'clock in the morning. And I don't do much past nine o'clock. But I remember we were sitting in the restaurant and it was packed, this restaurant. And we'd been engaged in, in deep conversation. We were mostly listening to him, but he would also ask us some things too. And I remember when he said for us just to close our eyes. And so we closed our eyes And he asked us, what do you hear? All of a sudden, I could hear the music that was playing in the tiny little speaker in the ceiling. I hadn't heard it before, but it was there, and it seemed loud. I could hear specific conversations of people from the tables around me. I could hear the, the, the door opening and closing as customers were coming and going. I could hear the pots and pans clanging way back in the kitchen. It's interesting that you can close your eyes and see what's going on. Maybe it's possible that poor, blind Bartimaeus begging on the side of the road has something in common with rich, lonely Zacchaeus, also in Jericho. Maybe they both had heard the whispers, had heard the rumors that Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners, that Jesus heals blind people. And so he shouts, Bartimaeus shouts, and, and I think it's important for us to notice that even though people tried to keep him quiet, to, to keep him in the shadows, he wouldn't be silenced. And so Jesus asks him a really good question. What do you want me to do for you? And so what we would expect from the guy holding the sign, well, I need some work, or I need some money, or I need some food. He didn't ask for any of those things. In fact, he revealed great faith in Jesus by saying, I, I want to see again. Fred Craddock says, it is striking 
that in this story, Jesus opens the eyes of a man who can already see. A man who knows the possibilities when God gets involved. Sometimes people who are lost in the crowd, they're actually interested in getting closer to Jesus. We can't forget that. People want to get close, and I wonder how often have I simply gotten in the way. There was an, an article um, in one of our local newspapers, the Smoky Mountain News. Um, it talked about how on May the 1st, uh, concerned citizens, volunteers, uh, they were escorted by the Waynesville police and they raided Elijah King's home. That's what the article was about. Uh, Elijah King's home was actually uh, under the bridge on Russ Avenue. It said that they threw away his apartment, his furnishings, his clothing, small appliances, says that they threw away his keys, they threw away his contact lenses, his birth certificate, and his social security card, and, and other personal items like that. It's all now rotting in the landfill. It said that at the time, uh, Mr. King was, was working as a, a part-time landscaper. He was attempting to to rebuild his life and, and to get back to, to something that, that seemed like a normal existence. And he, he told the reporter that this raid on his place, um, it, it's made life uh, a lot more difficult because um, it's depriving him of the, the basics that he needs to live and, and to work. It can get really complicated. But what he said was, they passed judgment that I was of little or no value. I think about our, our friendship house. People like Elijah King show up on Saturdays. When, when they show up, they have a lot of options. First of all, there's a lot of First Methodist people and, and others sometimes. There's a smile, it's been behind a mask for some time. But there's a hot shower, there's a hot breakfast, biscuits and gravy, all the coffee you can drink. You can get some new socks, brand new underwear. Sometimes there's the perfect pair of jeans or a, a, a really good pair of shoes. They need a, a lot of shoes. They sometimes get a ride to work. They leave with a lunch. A few Saturdays ago, I was kind of taken by my time there, taken with the conversations that I had. I'm sitting at this table close with a man, and he's been in some trouble. And he just shared about how hard he's, he's trying, uh, how hard he's working trying to get a job. He's like, I gotta get a job. I don't, I don't care where it is, I'll do anything. 
I'll wash dishes, I'll pick up trash. He's like, I gotta get off the streets. And he talked at, at length about the challenges. Finding a home is a challenge. And then outside, a woman walked up to me and I introduced myself. And I guess it's because uh, when I met her the first time, a year ago, uh, we were wearing masks. And, and um, she said, yes, you, you're the one who prayed with me because my grandmother was sick. I remember that day. She wept and she wept. Today she was full of joy. This day she was full of joy as she talked about her grandmother who passed away. But that her grandmother was, was where she needed to be. There was a man that overheard this conversation. I, I've known him for a year now, at least. I've never heard him say more than three words. Always quiet, always kind of melancholy. And he just opened up to me, standing right out in our courtyard. And he talked about how his mother had passed away when she was 57. No, it was 20 years ago. He talked about how his older sister had died when she was 56. He talked about another sibling who just really wouldn't have anything to do with him, and he kind of told that story. And there was this deep sadness. I asked him about his health, and he said, it's not good, and he began to, to, to tell me what was not good. We even talked about his mental health. There were interruptions. People just kept interrupting. But he's never, he, did, he, he didn't leave. He's, I've never seen him hang around this long. And it's like he just wanted to stay close. I think about all that and, and how complicated it is for unhoused people. It really is complicated. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of dynamics. And I think sometimes we just want to just throw it out. It helps us to not see it. Sometimes it feels like there's nothing we can do. And, and that, that's like Joseph's mother at the end of the book when, when Joseph has lost his wonderful button. His, his mom says, Joseph, listen to me. The button is gone, finished, kaput. Even your grandfather can't make something from nothing. Tony Campolo was working with his graduate students in the Dominican Republic, and he talked about um, just the poverty that was so overwhelming, and it just seemed like such a systemic thing. Um, there's nothing we can do. I think we feel that a lot about different things. It's too big for us. But someone saw the possibilities. And in this town, they started a, a, a tiny factory that produced sandals made from old automobile tires. They just needed simple tools. They just required very little training. And all of a sudden, Young people were carving out the soles for sandals from these worn out 
automobile tires that were just kind of laying all over the place, you know, kind of trashing things up. And they, they made them into these attractive and durable shoes. And so these young people would sell them on the streets. And so people were getting nice shoes. They were providing income for their families, even the smallest kids, like they were the ones who were going out and finding these old tires and just bringing them in. They, I think they would give them 50 cents per tire. And they got all the old used tires out of, out of this community and just completely cleaned it up. And then came Paul says, they started, um, they started getting brand new tires. <laughs> and that's when they were like, uh-oh, we, we need a different strategy. There's always something we can do. We just need to get close enough. I think that what Mark wants us to see in this story is Jesus. That Jesus is the Son of God. And that with God, all things are possible. Jesus has the power. Jesus knows how to turn on the lights. My prayer is that he will. Amen.